Hey, grab your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 tonight. We're also going to be in Matthew chapter 2, but go to Luke chapter 2 uh, in your Bibles. It is one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then after that is John, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 tonight. So grab your Bibles and go uh, turn to there. And um, so real quick, quick recap from last week because I think it'll set us up for the message tonight. You know, last week we, oh, sorry about that, Facebook. All right. Last week we talked about Mary, the mother of Jesus, how she responded to being placed uh, in the story of Jesus. Do y'all remember, uh, do y'all remember how she responded? Post in the comments and let me know. Do you remember how she responded? What was the first thing that she did? She was obedient. She listened to the angel. She listened to God and said, God, I am your servant. Let your plans be. The second thing she did, y'all remember, uh, she went out and told others. She went out and told Joseph, her soon-to-be husband. She went out and told Elizabeth, her cousin, uh, about the incredible things that were happening with Jesus, uh, who was about to come uh, as our Savior. And then the third and last thing she did is she worshiped. Uh, she actually wrote the very first Christmas carol that ever was in existence uh, and sang it to God as praise and worship and thanking him uh, for choosing her to be a part of his story. So tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to keep going back to Christmas to the birth of Jesus, and uh, we're going to look at two more responses, two more people, and how they responded to the birth of Jesus and the story of Jesus uh, taking place and them being placed in it. And so, yes, we are talking about Christmas, uh, but we are going to be in two different books tonight uh, talking about the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2 and also in Matthew chapter 2. So again, we're going to start in Luke chapter 2. So y'all turn in your Bibles there. I think most of y'all are probably there. Uh, we're going to start in verse uh, 4 of Luke chapter 2. Um, all right, let's see. I'll read it with me. Verse 4 of Luke chapter 2. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. All right, so again, you've got Mary and you've got Joseph knowing that Jesus was coming soon and this big census that was taking place. We've got a census going on in our country. We've got a census going on in the ancient Roman world at the time. And so everybody had to go back to their birthplace, where their family was from. So knowing that Jesus was coming back soon, or coming soon, uh, they went to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem where his people were from. And as they get there, the time comes for Jesus to actually be born. You know, they traveled all this way with Mary pregnant. They get there; it's time for Jesus to be born. And so, as they roll into town, they start looking for this place uh, for a place to stay. You know, they they uh, they don't have very many family there. That's where his family's from. Uh, but they're trying to figure out a place to stay. So they go and check with the Hilton. Uh, but the Hilton doesn't have any rooms. They're all sold out. They they roll up to the Holiday Inn, uh, which I think is funny in and of itself because they're in Bethlehem looking for an inn, and Christmas is like the biggest holiday. And so it's like Holiday Inn. You got to think about it. You got to think about it, but I think it's funny. They go to Holiday Inn. No luck there either. No room, uh, no place for them to stay. Uh, and so they go to this one last place. They go to this last inn, uh, this last uh, place to stay, but there's no room for them. 
Uh, it's completely full. And so as we've seen in countless Christmas cartoons, um, the innkeeper comes out and he's like, I'm sorry, I don't have any rooms, but you can stay in my barn. You can stay in the stables where the animals sleep. Uh, so Jesus's first baby bed, his first crib is literally the box where the donkeys and the horses are eating hay out of. The king of the universe was born into a box where donkeys eat hay. Like that just, that blows my mind. Uh, but I want you to notice here the innkeeper's response. And now I know in our passage in Luke chapter 2, uh, it doesn't specifically say uh, the innkeeper did this or the innkeeper came out and said, hey, you can sleep in the stable. Uh, but you have to imagine that somebody was in charge of that inn when they went to check in and find a room. Somebody at that hotel uh, that they tried to stay at was the one who turned them away, was the one who told them uh, he had sold out of all his rooms. He didn't have any place for them. He didn't have a room for Jesus. He didn't save a room for Jesus and his parents. Um, so a while back, uh, we went to visit my parents down in the Houston area where I grew up from. Uh, now, thankfully, um, my parents didn't make us sleep in a barn. They actually had a spare guest room for us to sleep in. So that's not the analogy here. But uh, they had a place for us to stay. But we went down there just to visit for a weekend. Uh, and so since I grew up down there, there's a lot of places that I love to go eat when we go home. Uh, and there's one place in particular that is my absolute favorite burger place in the entire world. You've probably seen me wearing a hoodie with their name on it before. It is called Tookies. Tookies Hamburgers and more. Uh, it is one of my favorite places to eat. It is definitely one of those places that you go hungry and you leave miserable because you are so full. You ate way too much hamburger. You ate way too many onion rings. Uh, it is definitely one of those kinds of places. Everybody down there knows about Tookies. You go down there and they ask you where you ate lunch. The first thing they say, did you go to Tookies? I bet you went to Tookies, huh? You went to Tookies. Yeah, that's right. I did go to Tookies. So we went to Tookies while we were down there. And so we get there and we get to the table and we all order our different burgers. Uh, we ordered onion rings and french fries. We ordered tater tots. We ordered fried pickles. I mean, you name it, whatever on the menu we could order, we ordered it and it was brought out to our table. Uh, but Natalie, on the other hand, man, she just ordered a hamburger. So Natalie didn't grow up down there, so she didn't know any better. But I, that's what I thought, at least. But she just ordered a hamburger and absolutely nothing else. So we sat there for a good while. We ate every bit of food that was on the table, and we stuffed our faces, and we were so miserably full. And what happens next? You know it. Anytime you've ever gone to a restaurant, <clears throat> what happens when you get done uh, stuffing your face? Yeah, the waitress always walks by and says, are we full or do we save room for dessert? You know, that's that's always the age-old question. Anytime you go to a restaurant, did are you full or did you uh, do you want dessert? And of course, all of us were like, no, man, I... I'm way too full. I can't even, bar I can barely breathe right now because of that amazing hamburger. Like, I don't want dessert. But Natalie popped up and she goes, uh, yeah, I'll have the birthday cake shake, please. And the waitress was like, okay. And so she went off to make her a shake. And so all of us were like, wait, <clears throat> how in the world could you want an ice cream shake after all of that? Like, are you serious? Are, you got to be kidding me. And, uh, and we all looked at her and she looked at back, back at us and said, well, I saved room. I saved room because I wanted a shake. Remember, she only ordered a hamburger. She didn't order all the french fries and tater tots like the rest of us did. She ordered a hamburger knowing that she wanted a shake at the end of it. She saved room for that shake. And so later that weekend, my dad as a pastor down there, he actually used Natalie as a sermon illustration, uh, but he brought forth this idea that has stuck with me ever since. It's the idea of saving room 
or making room. You see, Natalie didn't have to make room for dessert after after we all ate way too much. She wasn't full. She had saved room because she knew that she wanted the shake before she even started. Does that make sense? If you make room for food, you kind of have to loosen that belt up a little bit. You kind of have to loosen the pants up and uh, you kind of take a deep breath and you're like, all right, I'm going to make room for more food. Or if you save room, you don't fill up on everything else so that you can eat dessert and finish it off. Um, so now think about that and also think about the innkeeper and the, uh, the inn where Mary and Joseph ended up staying in the stable. What did the innkeeper do? He made room. He didn't save a room for them. He didn't save them a place. He made room. Jesus, the Son of God, the, uh, the Savior that these people had been praying and hoping for for generations, was about to be born in his hotel, and all he had to offer was the barn. It was what was left over, just the very last space that he had to give. Uh, and so our first response I want y'all to see tonight, again, we're looking at two different uh, responses. Last week, we looked at Mary's responses to being G uh, placed in Jesus' story. This week, we're looking at two other people's responses. The innkeeper's response was to make room, to give what was left over. And what we need to do, what, how we need to respond, again, uh, to the story of Jesus, to Jesus himself, is like Natalie did with the birthday cake shake, and not what the innkeeper did. We have to save room that's just for Jesus. We can't fill up on the things of this world and we can't run out of room for what's really important. We have to give him the first of our time, the first of our space, the first of our possessions. We can't give him what's left over. We can't loosen our belt, make room and say, okay, Jesus, you can have, you can have what's left. You can have what's left of my day. You know, we, we can't do that. I mean, the Bible's even full of stories like that. Look at the very, very beginning of the Bible. You know, I said Jesus was present at the very beginning of the Bible. Look at the very beginning. Uh, you've got two brothers, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's children. Uh, look at their story. Uh, when it's time to bring an offering to God, what happens? Abel brings the first fruits. He brings the absolute best of what he has to offer and places it before God. But his brother Cain, what does he do? He takes what he wants from his fruit. He takes what he wants from his possessions and then gives God what's left over. And we see what happens in the story. Who's God pleased with? He's pleased with Abel because Abel gave God his first attention. He gave God his first fruits, the things that were most important. He gave it over to God. He saved room for God. And so we have to dedicate our moments to him. We have to study and we have to pray and we have to grow. We can't make room for God. We can't give him what's left over. We have to give him our best. We have to give him the first of what we have to offer. Um, okay, so that's the first response. The second response I want y'all to see uh, is actually in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be looking at another character in the story of Christmas, in the story of Jesus' birth. Uh, well, actually a set of characters, uh, the Magi, the wise men who came from far, far away to see Jesus. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, it's just a couple books right before Luke, just a couple of pages. Um, so turn in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start off in uh, verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. I want to look at this other response. Uh, about how the wise men responded to Jesus. Remember, the innkeeper didn't save room to be in the story. He made room. He gave what was left over. Our response should be to save room, to give Jesus 
the very first of what we have to offer, our time and everything else we have. Uh, so again, Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at the wise men now, all right? Uh, in verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Magi, our wise men, um, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. All right, we're going to jump down to verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, uh, frankincense, and myrrh. Frankincense, not Frankenstein. Frankincense and myrrh. Um, all right, now let's look at how the Magi responded in Matthew chapter 2. Um, they sought him out. They sought out Jesus. Remember, with these wise men, they were not believers. They were not Jewish scholars who knew about Jesus and the prophecies uh, of, of his coming. They, they weren't, uh, they, they didn't know about it. They were just astrologers from this far, far away land who saw this star in the sky and, and they heard rumors that this star meant a, a king was coming who would uh, save his people. And so they sought out more knowledge about what was going on. They researched what was happening. They went to find out what the truth was for themselves. And so this is super, super important for us to look at tonight uh, because I think it sheds some light on issues that many of us probably deal with as well, and that's doubt. Um, now, now one thing you need to know about me and, and I, and I really hope and I pray, uh, that you hear me when I say this, uh, because it might affect our friendship. I hate April fools, like with a passion. I absolutely hate April 1st. It is my least favorite holiday or day of the year, whatever you want to call it. I hate April fools. And that's because most of the jokes that usually happen on April fools are actually really, really great ideas uh, that honestly, I think they actually should be things, but that's never the case. It's always a joke and I'm always extremely, extremely disappointed. Um, so this past April fools, just a couple weeks ago, um, I saw a story that popped up and it said, uh, the office, uh, that old show with Michael Scott and, and Jim and Dwight, all of the office, uh, because of everything that was going on in the world with coronavirus, the office decided to do a office reunion. They were all going to get together. All of the cast and crew were going to get together and talk about the show. And I cannot tell you, it is one of my favorite shows. I was so, so excited. I was like, yes, we've needed this for years. And because of everything that was going on in the world, they decided the world needs this. They're going to do it. And man, I was so excited. But immediately I thought to myself, uh, this is too good to be true. And I honestly, I forgot it was April 1st. I forgot it was April Fool's. I was like, this has to be fake. This has to be fake. So I went to everybody's best friend, Google, and I looked up if it was fake or not. And guess what? Of course, it was fake. Anytime you see stuff about an office reunion, it's always fake. And I'm always extremely, extremely, extremely disappointed. Um, that's why I hate April Fool's. Because again, great ideas. They never actually happen. Uh, but you see... Um, from the moment I saw the story, I doubted that it was real. I didn't really believe it. And I think the same could be said with a lot of us and the story about Jesus. Uh, that a lot of times it almost sounds too good to be true. That God, the God that created the entire universe, 
sent his only son to be born to us, to humankind, to live this perfect life, to heal people, to teach, um, to die a horrible death on the cross, literally so that I could spend eternity with him. And not even ending there, but he literally rose from the grave. He came back to life, conquered death itself so that I could spend eternity with God. I mean, it's a crazy story. It's almost impossible to believe, really and truly. If you think about it, it's, a, it's an absolutely crazy story. But in Luke chapter 18, just a couple uh, chapters later from where we started tonight, Luke chapter 18, verse 17, when Jesus is teaching the people, he even says, unless you accept the kingdom of God like a little child, that you'll never enter it. And I was like, what does that mean? Well, children believe in the impossible. They believe that anything and accept that anything is possible and can happen. And so we have to have faith like that in our lives to fully accept all that Jesus can do in our life. But I know that's, that's a lot of times that's a really hard thing to do. It's, it's really hard to just blindly accept something without testing it out first. And, and so honestly, what I want y'all to hear tonight, I want you to know that it's okay to doubt. And now stick with me. I know that that probably just kind of blew some of y'all away a little bit, but I want y'all to stick with me, okay? It's actually okay to doubt. It's okay to question about your faith and question whether or not the story of Jesus is true. But what is not okay is to let that doubt stay with you. Really lock in, hear me, look at me. Facebook and Instagram, y'all listen to me, okay? Hear me really closely. It is okay to doubt and it is okay to question. It is not okay to do absolutely nothing about it. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to question. It is not okay to do nothing about it. See, hear me. When doubt becomes valuable, where, excuse me, where doubt becomes valuable, where it becomes okay is when it makes us do our own research, when it makes us seek out the truth. Because the cool thing is the story of Jesus, Jesus' love and his grace for you in our lives will always be true. I'm going to say that again because it's really, really important. The story of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his love, his grace will always be true for you. It will always be a reality. And see, doubt can help us develop that childlike faith in our life that Jesus is talking about to trust God with everything inside of us. Because when we seek out the story of Jesus, we seek out his truth and we gain that childlike faith. We begin to accept the realness of it. We begin to accept the truth of Jesus's love for each one of us. And so just like the wise men who sought out Jesus, they didn't believe in, in the prophecies. They didn't even know him. They sought him out and proved to themselves that Jesus's love, his, his, his reality was true. And so we have to do the same thing. We have to seek out Jesus. We have to chase after God's purpose and prove that it's true and real for our life. That should be our response. And look, what happens at the end of the story with the wise men and the magi? Look, do you see what happens when they actually find Jesus and they realize that the stories that they've been hearing are true? What does it say they do? They fall down at his feet and they worship him. They bring gifts. They bring their best gold and frankincense and myrrh. They bring it and place it before the feet of Jesus and they worship him. They took a, play, the, a cue from Mary's playbook who uh, worshiped God for placing her in the story. They worship Jesus for placing them in the story. 
And so it's really important for us to respond appropriately to the story of Jesus. And that's why we've been talking and covering all of this for weeks now. I know I've been harping on the story of Jesus over and over and over, but that's why. It's for us to grow closer to him. It's for us to realize uh, what his purpose is for our lives and, and how to fulfill that purpose. And to do that, we have to know Jesus on a true and deep level. We have to know Jesus is true. We have to believe it with that childlike faith. And so hear me tonight in our two responses. Again, Mary's responses, the uh, innkeeper and the Magi, our responses again have to be um, to not make room for Jesus. It's not enough to give him the last five minutes of your day. It's not enough to give him what's left over. You have to save room. You have to give Jesus his time set aside solely for him and his purpose. Read your Bible, pray, uh, do all the things, but so give Jesus that time, that first time, not what's left over. And then again, just like the wise men, learn about him. Use that time that you set aside for Jesus. Use that time to seek out Jesus. Learn more about him. Erase the doubts and the questions that you may have about faith and about Jesus and about church. Because again, the story of Jesus is always going to be true. No matter how many doubts anybody has about it, it always rings true. And so use that time that you set aside for Jesus and his story to seek out Jesus Prove it, prove your faith and grow in your faith because the closer we get to the love and the grace of Jesus, the closer we get to knowing more about him, the more we're able to, to fulfill God's purpose and plans for our life.